0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Land Your Ground. This is episode six, and in studio today we have a special guest, Ms. Kim Sheese. We're going to talk a little bit about her family farm history and also regenerative ag. Very excited to have you in today, Kim.
1: Thanks, Chase, for having me.
0: Kim, why don't you, I guess, just open up by telling us a little bit about Uh, well you as a podcaster yourself or in the uh, agricultural niche Mm -hmm. would love to hear a little bit about how you got started in that and then where your personal interest comes from in that open up
1: that sounds great well thanks for having me on I'm looking forward to it Um, so about nine years ago I went to work for a company that focuses on plant nutrition and soil health and um, the owner of the company said to me I have like three books I want you to read. So you start understanding what we're doing here. Um, and they read, were all about the soil
0: reading assignments, right out of the yeah, gate,
1: reading assignments right out of the gate. So not only did I buy the book, I had the audible of it. I listened to it all the time and it really helped me to change my focus about what I understood about soil and, um, just agriculture in general. And so I had been involved in agriculture my whole life, uh, My family owned a grain elevator feed store, so I kind of grew up in that. I Mm -hmm. raised cattle, small-scale, 4-H, FFA kind of thing, had a small cow-calf herd. And um, so I've always loved agriculture, and I love the people. In agriculture. Yeah. And so um, it's been a a life love of mine. And so um, I've journeyed a long way uh, from the time that I left college, uh, had an ANSI degree, and uh, really focused in production agriculture um, and worked for an ag software developer, which gave me some unique perspectives. And then, um, but fast forward quite a ways to this my current position Mm -hmm. and i um my job or my role is to provide training and sales support for our dealers and team and um about let's see i think it was 2019 our the owner of our company um wanted to have an event that focused on bringing together farmers ag entrepreneurs um tech ag tech Uh, and researchers and get them in the same room and get them talking Mm -hmm. because we thought that you know there's a lot of silos in agriculture and not just the blue ones that we drive by right and so we kind of live in our different little silos and I experienced that when I was in college I worked uh, in the ruminant nutrition lab and so I can Mm kind of see how research was focused in a certain area and so um, this event evolved it was called ag emerge and we did it for two years, it was fantastic. We brought great speakers onto the stage, um, but then we had breakout sessions where growers could meet with those speakers. And so that was really um, that so engaging. super valuable. It was so valuable. And the conversations um, at the meals, and we, we did kind of something that was a little unheard of and we would take like long half hour breaks in between speakers so people really had time to engage with one another. Yeah, network. Yeah. So mm. that was great. We called it Aggie Merge and it was wonderful, but then COVID hit. Yeah. And that kind of kiboshed some in-person things and we wanted to continue the conversations. And so that's how we merged into this podcast.
0: Aggie Merge podcast. The
1: Aggie Merge podcast. And um it's just been um It's just been growing and and, uh, gaining speed as we um, bring these interesting guests on to share their story. So a lot of times it's um, growers who have made um, this journey of soil health. Um, In other uh, areas, we've had ag tech people on, so people who are doing autonomous equipment for the field. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you name it, um, drones, you know, flying on seed, that type of thing. And then also a lot of research because we're learning so much about soil. And um, I guess the best way I could say it is when I was in college, soil was basically geology mm-hmm. right and that's how we kind of thought about it right um, but soil is biology yeah and there's so much going on that um, you know we just we, we don't fully understand even today everything that's going on in the soil. And so, but the things that we do know, we know we can start changing some of our practices mm-hmm. to really build our soil health, right. which in turn helps plant health, which in turn makes nutrient dense food, which in turn affects human health. So there is a a, lo- a chain reaction of all of that. Yeah. So
0: I can feel and hear your passion when we were talking about this subject, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's something that I am like super interested in. Don't feel like I know that much about. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, I, maybe I'm wrongly calling it that, but I said earlier, I think that it's a rabbit hole that once you kind of started going down it, you just like keep digging and keep digging. And it's, it's amazing, uh, how much information you have picked up just kind of since you inserted yourself into that, you know, professionally and just kind of um, being involved in all of those conversations on the Ag Emerge Mm -hmm. podcast Mm -hmm. and just, um, you know, being in in the role that you're in. Um, but then you've also done a lot of your own research, you know, Mm -hmm. you're digging in with some of these books. We'd love to hear about, you know, a couple of those that Mm -hmm. you said are really pivotal. Mm -hmm. Um, so we can kind of help steer other people towards that. Um, you also mentioned earlier to me that, um, uh, regenerative ag is the term that that you guys would like to hear used more often is that right
1: yes well and i mean that's just the phrase for today kind of thing Mm and um it you know there used to be uh, there's a lot of terms there's conservation agriculture there's Mm -hmm. sustainable agriculture and i told you the story about there's a guy ray archuleta a retired nrcs guy if you follow soil health very much you've heard ray's name and um he says you know if you asked your spouse how your marriage was and they said it's sustainable you would think that probably doesn't sound so great Not so great. <laughs> no. Not so great. um we talk about uh, regenerative in that we are constantly building something and yeah. so the things that we're building and and our focus is really building soil aggregates and so by building soil aggregates then you have pores for water and, um, you know, you have good um, uh, environment for the microbes to be functioning and, you know, all of those type of things come into play as we do that. So that's kind of what we call regenerative.
0: Yeah. Well, let's let's step back in time just a minute mm-hmm. or two and tell me a little bit about your personal farm uh family farm history sure um you know the the piece of ground that you guys are on right now where you live Mm a little bit just tell me a little bit more about like your personal connection to land and then we can kind of get back to that that might bring up some history you know and so how people used to do things how far we've come away from that and why there's certain things we need to be looking at or, or going back to right
1: exactly Well, um, our family farm is just a small acreage of like about 80 acres. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been in my family 113 years, so I'm third generation. We've got fourth and fifth generation on the ground. So that's great. Family and legacy mean a lot to to our family. And Mm -hmm. so we love to be together. Um, The home that Jack and I live in um, has is the home that my grandmother and all of her siblings were raised in. And um, my great my great grandfather when he bought that farm, he and my grandmother, they farmed it together hand in hand. Like we have lots of letters, um, that they used to write back and forth. Um, and so we really know some of the struggles and the victories that they had as they, as they farmed that little piece of ground. Yeah. But my great grandfather raised, um, cattle, sheep, ducks, chickens, hogs, everything on that property yeah, and he chose that property. There was a couple of places that they had looked at, but I was just talking with my dad about this. He, he chose that property because it had a stream running through it mm-hmm. and he knew he wanted to have livestock And so it's kind of interesting that we're bringing, uh, we're looking to bring the farm full circle to getting, because that's like, we'll talk a little bit about soil health principles, but one of them is getting livestock back on the land. And that's a way to really help build soil health. Um, But, you know, you know how it is in Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, we've torn out all our fences, you know there's all these things that have changed and and changed the way that we've kind of farmed things so mm-hmm. but um uh my husband and I have always been he's uh, his dad farmed his grandfather farmed um but they rented their ground so there was never really an opportunity for us um to come back and farm when we got out of school right um it's it was always a dream and um actually in 1993 we had an opportunity to buy a small farm and acreage and it had a farrowing house on it. And Jack had been farrowing hogs that he had a lot of experience yeah. as a herdsman and doing that. And so we thought, OK, this is great. This is what we're going to do. We're going to raise, you know, wiener pigs and this is going to be our spot on the farm. And oh, by the way, it's Jack's granddad's farm. Really? So, but his grandpa didn't own it at that time. Sure. It's a couple people had bought it. His yep. grandpa had since passed. It's pretty neat
0: though, to be working on the same piece of dirt that wasn't your that family cool? used to be on.
1: So then in our mind, well, yep. you know, the Lord has laid this out for us. Clearly this is our farm. This is where we're going to be. Yeah. And so we put a bid on it and it it got rejected. Mm -hmm. So it would just, you know, somebody else bid more. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and of course we were disappointed, but beforehand when I was doing all the cash flows and we were working with the bank on getting our financing and all that kind of stuff, I said to Jack, um, this is all going to be great unless that third year something goes south. And I said, it'd have to go really south for it to not work. So we just thought it was all going to come together. And when it didn't, we were disappointed. Well, that was in 1993, I think, when we tried to buy it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know what happened to the hog market three years later, but hogs went to eight cents. Yeah, Um, That would have been a catastrophic event for us, uh, trying to pay everything off. So we recognized that for what it was, and we were being protected from something that wasn't meant to happen and so that was a life lesson too because you think oh this is perfect it's his granddad's place why we're meant to have that yeah you know and so um that was a life lesson for us and also and that farm went on to be owned by his cousin who's done an amazing job with it it's a beautiful farm um and so that's exciting to see that that went on to to be a great place so but anyway, so Jack and I have always been in agriculture yep. and um, I always say, I'm not an agronomist, but I'm married to one. So um, he uh, he's really my sounding board for a lot of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, and- He'll tell you if you've gone too far off if the reservation. If I, yes, and yeah, <laughs> which can happen from time to time, sure. but I'm extremely, I have a very optimistic personality. So, and I like to get things done and so, He said, um, uh, so fast forward, we've Mm -hmm. lived quite a bit of life and, um, we were getting to a spot where I said, I really just want to be able to farm our place. Right. And when I say farm our place, I use that term loosely because yeah. we don't own a lick of equipment. Um, and so we needed to partner with people right. that could help us do that. And you, you so you wanted to
0: have an influence.
1: We did. We wanted to have an influence on the property because I said to Jack, you know, I'm we produce this podcast, I'm talking about soil health every day. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to put my money where my mouth is, you know, cause it's fine to be able to say
0: you should do this. Right. If you really believe in it, <clears throat> right. Why then you, you should,
1: exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I get it. It's 80 acres. We're not betting, you know, a 2000 acre farm on what we're doing, but I've watched so many that have done it. Yeah. And so it's exciting to see. So Jack, um, I said to him, I'm like, I have this dream and I really just, I want it to happen. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right, you know, and, and he was, you know, I would, of course I would read all this stuff and I'd be like, you need to read all of this stuff. And, you know, so he's reading everything so that he's up to, to yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he's interested because he loves it too. And so we, um, we started talking about how we might be able to do this. Um, And so we, we put together a plan and, and again, the farm has, has been in our family, but it's been cash rented for, Mm. uh, in fact, since my, my great, my great grandfather passed, I think it's been cash rented since then. So probably 65, 70 years, you know, kind of thing. Right.
0: This is Western Illinois. So we're talking about corn and bean rotation probably for decades. exactly. Exactly. Have you guys ever had anything have, the tenants of it ever done alfalfa or rotated any other crops? There has in there, been mostly?
1: wheat a couple of times, but yeah. um, I think it's pretty much been corn soy the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is what we do around
0: here, right? Yeah, it's been that way on a lot of farms exactly. for quite a few years.
1: Exactly. But as I'm reading, you know, and and learning and and understanding, I mean, if you look at nature, nature does not monocrop.
0: No. No, monocultures are almost never good
1: exactly and so you know and we if we really dig in and we look at like where our crops are going like look at the percentage of corn that goes to ethanol Mm -hmm. not it's not a food source you know we talk about feeding the world but you know we think about all that but then our corn's going to different sources you 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 know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so um, we wanted to start looking at how um, we could just affect our local area. And um, that's one of the other pieces of kind of building soil health is that we know that we've lost nutrient density in our food because we've lost nutrients in the soil Mm -hmm. and it's because of just our soils aren't functioning the way that they're meant to function yeah and so um if we can get them functioning the way that they're supposed to then we can help to build those nutrients which in turn makes the plant healthier and in turn makes us healthier too so when you hear about all the health conditions where people have gut issues or or things like that you know you we can kind of recognize that some of those things are really on the rise and so we we've just started to look at why those things are happening yeah so um that that just kind of brought us full circle so we put together a plan to try to see what we could do so the fun part was that the crop um was harvested the first of october we planted wheat uh october 7th which happens to be jack and i's anniversary and so i said you know this is really a a a watershed event where we're we're doing this and and um i'll back up a little bit because when we talked to my dad and uncle about it So I'm the oldest of four girls. I'm the oldest of all of the grandkids. So my license plate says boss. And I always tell people, it doesn't say bossy, but it says boss. But, you know, I'm... Okay. I own it a little bit. (laughs) So my dad, and I worked with my dad and uncle growing up. My dad always had me in the elevator learning the business understanding. And then when I, um, in the summers, I worked for my uncle at his elevator down in Seton, Illinois. And um, so I learned all the ins and outs of, you know, everything from grinding feed to rolling oats to schlepping feed bags, you know, kind of thing. So I'm close with, with my uncle and, of course, my dad. And when I told them what we wanted to do, now, my dad is old school, okay? So I always say, you know, he's the guy that they used to race snowmobiles, he's the guy that would siphon gas out of one tank you know into another to uh you know just move gas from sure. one snowmobile yeah. to another yeah so what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing so when i'm talking about all this stuff about building soil health and all and you know everything about even eating grass-fed beef or you know is all it, is these it kind, it kind of, of a, things
0: if it ain't broke don't fix it mentality Kinda,
1: yeah kind of but but he's also, I mean, he's he's good for change. He doesn't yeah. you know, he's he's got a, a thought process along that line. But when, when we met with them and he's like, well, I mean, you guys can try it. We're willing to let you try it. Well, yeah. and of course, the, la- the guy who, who has farmed the property for years is an awesome guy. And we love him. We've been friends mm-hmm. with him forever. And so it wasn't about that. It was just like we just kind of wanted to try something yeah. ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, when my dad told the current renter that we wanted to do this, he goes, well, they're going to try it. You might get it back in a couple of years. <laughs> and I said, dad, you just threw down the gauntlet. Yeah. Cause I said, you know, that's just no, something. Nothing
0: motivates you more than like a, a parent or a, or, you know, family right. member. I'm telling you maybe you can't maybe, do that maybe yeah exactly <laughs> we'll although see, right? that's
1: not typically my dad's forte he's probably one of my biggest cheerleaders and yeah. and so i say all that to say that nothing has made them more excited than when they turn the corner to go to the house and there's that green wheat right now yeah. in the field and um it was kind of fun because we planted it on October 7th and on, and on October 8th at church, Jack was already getting quizzed about what was going on, why there was a planter in our field. So, um, but that wheat is a, is a starting point. So we just want something growing over the, obviously it'll go dormant here in a bit. There probably already has, but, um, but we want something growing and that's part of the soil health principles. There's, five of them okay. and it's Lay them on me. Yeah. It's first to keep the soil covered. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um having that armor. And that armor can come from in one of the second principles, which is don't disturb the soil. So no till. Okay. And I get it. A lot of people practice no-till back in the day and they're like, that doesn't work. You can't. Well, you're right. No-till is not a perfect thing by itself. It's one piece of it. You've got to have your nutrition right. You've got to have, um, you know, other things going on if you're going to no-till, right? Mm -hmm. But keeping that ground covered is critical. And I think nothing shows that more than that accident down when we went to spring, you know, in Springfield in last May when they had that dust storm where the, the soil was just blowing right. across the interstate. Yeah.
0: Just a, uh, like a whiteout in a blizzard almost, was yeah. not it?
1: Yeah. And it's because we're tilling the heck out of the soil.
0: You were talking about the armor covering the yeah, soil. Yeah. So and keeping
1: then... the soil covered, um, is really critical and, um, not just, for erosion but like even when it rains um just not having that raindrop just hit that soil and spread it all over so there's just a lot of things that happen um when you keep that soil covered and so that's the second principle so keep it covered don't till um the other thing is to add diversity so you've got it what do you mean
0: diversity of crops diversity of plants yes so
1: keep um when you're looking at your crop, not only just crop rotations, but mm-hmm. we're talking about like the addition of cover crops. So cover crops are going to keep that, um, they're, they say like if you put in one cover crop, you'll get like a an, an influx of like one microbial community. Put in two or three in a mix of a cover crop mm-hmm. mix, and then you exponentially increase the microbial community in that soil and what's happening is and this is the part that we didn't understand for a long time but the plant is communicating with the microbes and there's all kinds of amazing research that we've seen where the plant is like Um, So the plant will um, secrete exudates and then the microbes will eat those. They'll be going back and forth. You know, the plant will be communicating and all of that stuff to be like, hey, I need this or signaling for that. And so there's all of these fascinating things going on in the soil between those microbial communities that happen from having this diversity of crop.
0: Right. So by adding diversity of crop you're kind of changing the soil chemistry a little bit in yeah. a way that you're you're creating a an ecosystem of microorganisms that are what breaking Organic matter down yeah, more differently? Yeah, or or sugars
1: making, and things like that. To make nutrients to, to more help, available? Yes, or, all those things, making nutrients more available. And the, those exudates and the sugars, and there's a thing called glomalin that they discovered that's like a sticky substance that holds the aggregates together. So it helps the soil to build itself because um, these sticky substances help to hold the soil um Particles together. Thanks
0: for building my vocabulary. Yeah, I never heard of that. Because <laughs> everybody ought to use it. You
1: drop that at supper tonight, you know. <laughs> so, but it's all of that um, that biology that is going on in the soil um, that is really building like infrastructure there. Mm-hmm. And so, like if you go back to why we don't want to till, well, I usually use the example of a tornado or a tsunami when you when we have a tornado go through a town what's the first thing that gets well not the first thing but uh what gets wiped out your infrastructure right, right? Yeah. your all your wires power. connecting your power your phone everything is annihilated mm. and that's what happens when we till is we just basically tear up that whole living organism that's hap- that is the soil,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we think we're like preparing a seed bed. And I yeah. get that we're making because it that's soft what we knew to do, right? Yeah, exactly. But turns out that like if you take like three steps into your timber, like it didn't need to be tilled to be growing everything that's growing in there, yeah. Isn't that and that's something. Yeah. So that's a lot of what we we were trying to mimic nature mm-hmm. and not farm against it kind of thing. Yeah. And so um those are some of the things that happen and then The fourth principle is to keep a continuous living route. So, obviously, depending on your context of where you're at in the States, you know, that looks different Mm -hmm. um, and you plan accordingly. But there are a lot of people that say, well, that can't be done here. You know, it gets too cold here or whatever. But some of the most successful. Um, folks that are adopting these principles and practices live in Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, you know, um, there's just a lot of great folks doing some amazing research that helps us to understand that. So, Hmm. and then the fifth principle is livestock integration. So getting livestock back onto the land. And, again, that can be hard, too, because, again, we've torn out all of our fences and such, right? Right. But um, there's a lot that's being done with, like, you know, just electrical fence and high tensile wire, you know, Mm -hmm. those type of things. But we've kind of taken it the next step, and we're testing um, a callers. product called No Fence, the collars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, which are I, amazing. When I
0: saw you guys first post about that, I got super interested in that. Yeah, it was like, why aren't people doing that? Well, right. you know, I'm sure there's logistical reasons. But on at least on smaller scale, gosh, it seems like such a great idea.
1: It's amazing. And um, the company that we work with is in Norway. And um, so they've got thousands of animals on collars. Mm -hmm. And you just do it from your phone and you can move paddocks because the idea. You just draw the map, You just draw the map. And it's amazing. And what's super cool is watching the livestock train for it. I mean, they totally get it. They just get a tone as they move closer to the boundary. Mm-hmm. And it'll, you know, I, I won't sing for you, but it kind of does a dee-dee-dee, you know, and then it'll do a dee-dee-dee-dee-dee, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And And as soon as the cow knows that she's getting ready to hit that tone that might give her a little zap to tell her to turn she'll hear that and she just turns and she'll just be grazing right along and she'll just turn until she doesn't hear that signal anymore. Yeah. And it it's it's amazing how easily they get trained, but think about like especially we're hoping to get it for because we'd like to get some goats in our timber mm-hmm. because we've got all the invasive species, you know, right. you know that you would have in your timber that's kind of taking it over and and we want to um, utilize every piece of that farm to grow something productive that that we can share not only with our family but with our community. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're looking at trying to get that going. But those collars are amazing. But the idea is that the livestock integration really works best if you can do daily moves. Mm-hmm. So heavy. Grazing, We call it mob grazing, heavy grazing. You move the cattle. And so. So
0: high intensity, short duration. Exactly. So
1: what can you think about? You've got it on your hat (laughs) that has done that. There's a reason that
0: we we love bison so much. Exactly. um, They they were a a keystone species here in in all of the Midwest and prairie country. And they're frequency or infrequency as they move through and heavy disturbance, short duration. It created such an abundance in the ecosystem, all, all plant life, so it's just. Um, It's really cool to hear about people thinking about livestock, raising and grazing livestock differently Yes. uh, to mimic some of that natural process. Yes. Super cool. Very exciting about that. It is
1: super exciting. And here's the really cool thing. So, okay. Remember back, I said I was in 4-H and FFA. So I'm your rate of gain champion, you know, of having (laughs) the, you know, your dad has a feed store. You got to have good rate of gain right on your cattle. Yeah, Yeah. So... Um, you know, corn fed, that was what I knew Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: grass fed was gross. I mean, it was like, well, I wouldn't say gross, but I'll just say rangy. Yeah. Like, like how deer meat is, like how we cut our deer meat with hamburger or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but, um, the difference when you have pasture raised, uh, beef or pork, the pork is like fantastic. When you do that, um, it's not rangy grass. You know, mm-hmm. It's a robust cover crop mix of grasses that really help to just make that meat. You'd just be surprised how right. much marbling. And, right,
0: they're not just eating fescue and Kentucky Blue. Exactly. I mean, a lot of legumes, a lot of forbs, a exactly. lot, of, lot of diversity. And then in your, you guys uh, are also uh, proponents of grazing cover crops so like you're right. you're planning what would be in a mix like with the cereal grains and peas or what oh all do you guys that's see? a
1: good question i mean it could be a little bit of anything I, and people have mixed and matched just to kind of fit what fits their area best so there are so many different cover crop mixes that to yeah. say just one would would do it a, 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 in, an injustice a, injustice yeah. yeah thank you yeah like
0: tillage radishes and all of that sort of right thing all using.
1: of those kind of things and it'll be interesting to see when you move the cattle into a new paddock like what they'll go for first or yeah. how they'll um eat it or or they'll roll that area just to find the boundaries And then they'll start munching. So, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, all the, and, and you have things that you have to uh, deal with, like, um, is it Sudan grass that has a prussic acid that, you know, so you have to be careful about different times of grazing and what different cover crops you're doing. But that brings up what they, what we call the sixth law. So five principles, one law was, and that's context. And so if, if you said to me, well, what cover crops should I grow, you know, for mine? Well, what's your context? What are you trying to accomplish? You mm-hmm. know, do you have, first of all, where are you geographically? That's going to affect some things. Sure. And what's your soil types? What's your soil types are? What are your resource concerns? That's what we ask folks. What are the things that are the biggest problem? Because you can't tackle them all at once usually you've got to kind of take them in steps so maybe you want water infiltration Mm. like my favorite line that jay fuhrer um is a retired nrcs officer he's like he's uh, an amazing resource he uh, manages mononkin farms up in um north dakota if you get a chance google it it's fantastic what they do up there But he, and uh, so I don't, I want to make sure I give right credit here. So some folks say Jimmy Emmons says this, who's also an Oklahoma farmer who adopts all these practices, Mm -hmm. Um, but also Jay Fuhrer. But when we had Jay on our podcast, he said, you know, he goes, "I, I want a farmer when he's in the coffee shop and somebody says to him, how much rain did you get? And he can say, I got all of it. (laughs) Okay. That's what we're talking about. Uh, That's brilliant. It is brilliant. I got all of it. So that's what we're trying to do. So one of the things we do is a a ring test. So you take a a stainless steel ring, you pound it in the ground so far, Mm -hmm. you pour water in, you measure your water infiltration. Yeah. And like a
0: perk test,
1: like, like a perk test. And on, on traditionally tilled conventional soils, 15, 20 minutes of, you know, the water's just sitting there, just ponding. And on a regenerative plot, you know, one, two minutes, that water is penetrated. So when these because what kind of rain events are we getting now? We tend to get heavier, you know, more mm-hmm. intense rain events. So we When need it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. So imagine if your ground's covered with a cover crop mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and your soils are functioning well, you're going to get all of that water penetrating into the soil profile and that's what we want going on. So those are all the kind of things. And then of course, running the livestock on the land helps with all of that. So yeah, it, it's super exciting.
0: So so you mentioned goats. And I yeah. guess I'll, I'll take us back to that for just a minute. But like, what is the the reasoning? What I gathered from what you said was Goats rather than cattle or some other form of livestock because you're interested in using them to kind of help clean up some of the timber, the invasive mm-hmm. species. Like, right. Like multifloral rose, bush honeysuckle, that type of thing. Autumn
1: olive, yeah. all those goodies. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and so goats only because they'll eat all that mm-hmm. and they will make fast work of it. It won't take us a lot of. Uh, animals for it but mm-hmm. that's I guess I should say we have a pond that runs through the middle of our property yeah and um and there's timber on each side and it used to be beautiful oak mm-hmm. uh and a lot, you know just full of oaks and and we're trying to restore that and Jack's working hard to you know sort of we you know sort out cut so we the can hedge get and yeah, cut the, yeah get the good ones going and so I'm very fortunate that my husband is has cut wood his whole life and so he's good at hedge posts and all that kind of stuff so he and he's good at at identifying what trees are healthy what we need to do so it it's it's perfect but we need to get in there and get some of that cleaned out now as far as the farm ground goes that we will want to start grazing livestock on cattle Mm-hmm. But I remember how I said, sometimes you got to do things in stages. Yeah. So, and you need to partner with people too. So sure. my family have, I have family, my dad's brother has kids that have livestock. And so we're hoping that in some way we can incorporate that into yeah. the Involve farm. Involve them. And exactly. Yeah. Because this just isn't Kim and Jack's project. Mm-hmm. This is the family. And um, we want to be able to grow Jack's a gardener. So we garden a pretty good sized garden and put up veggies and stuff. And so we would like to be able to grow food for our family, but then to also share Mm -hmm. with people. We, we, we want this to be as much a component of community as anything. And I guess if you talked about like what my far off dream about this would be is that there would be a ministry component to it because I believe that um, when people can connect with the land, it really helps them to, I don't want to over spiritualize it, but when we understand how and why, um, we're here and, mm-hmm. and how we're supposed to tend the soil, um, I think it really adds that extra component. And so I would love to be able to have some type of ministry component where people come out and can learn how to garden and, and, and um, you know, pick berries and do all of these things yeah. that really give them a, a connection with the soil, and then also just with ha- what God has given us here to tend. That's so, so cool. I mean, yeah. that
0: that's, sounds to me like um, land stewardship at its best. I mean, when you when you're blessed with an opportunity to be the caretaker of a piece of the earth, and you really go at it with that thoughtfully, I guess, to, to really uh, take every piece of information you've, you've learned and what you continue to, you know, research and develop, then you just say, we've got to do this. We kind of just have this, you, you've stated basically that you have this, um, you feel driven like this mission, that right. that's something you're called to do. And then to say, I know how to do this the right way. I feel like Uh, Mm -hmm. responsible for that. And that's what stewardship is, you know, is being responsible for uh, a piece of property, a piece of land. And Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely love it. I I think everything that you're talking about is really, really cool. And I'm glad that that's stuff that's starting to come on a little bit more locally here, because when people see their neighbors doing stuff like that, they ask Mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. And the more people you get talking about it, the more people you can kind of get questioning the status quo a little bit and saying, Well, we, we've, we've gone this far, this direction in the name of efficiency and right. being able to farm as many acres as we can. And, mm-hmm. and we all understand that, you know, is um, needing to, to balance how many hours you have in a day, how many yes. dollars you have in the bank account and mm-hmm. what equipment you have control of and, and making the best use of those exactly. to, to help, you know, benefit your family or whatever to, you know, pay off the debt that you have on a farm and all right. that sort of thing but we can get really focused on the spreadsheets in farming and kind of forget that there's a living component Mm -hmm. to it so Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm super excited to hear about it
1: yeah we're we're very excited too and and don't get me wrong i get it that you know like take for example folks who rent land you know who are farming rented ground right i mean that's a concern you're trying to improve or make changes to a property you don't own. right? And so we've seen creative things happen like that. They're working with the landowners to have them like either cost share with them on some of these things like covers and stuff, because it is both people's advantage. It's both the renter and the landowner's advantage to adopt these practices. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot harder when, if, if everybody isn't on board and you're just doing it. Although I will say that, you know, a lot of these practices, you know, if you think about it, so just no till alone, how many trips are you not making over the field? How much fuel are you saving? We talk about labor all the time being an issue, you know? So there's all of these things that come into play that can be adopted. So that's exciting.
0: I'm I'm curious, and I don't know if, you know, this maybe isn't the uh, right question to ask but as you talk more about like water infiltration and you mm-hmm. talk about keeping the the land covered keeping a living root that would allow more uh, water to be able to penetrate into the ground a lot faster and obviously soil compaction plays a big role with how fast the water runs off of it versus perks into the soil right um how do you guys feel about or what guests have you guys had on to talk about field tile because i it to me it's um it's just something in the last two or three decades. I mean, field tile has been around for a long, long time, right? There's sure. clay tile in a lot of fields out here, yep. but this pattern tiling uh, that's happening all over mm-hmm. as you drive through all the country roads and highways in, in rural, you know, Midwest right now, you just see it everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's big business and and clearly a lot of research, a lot of people saying that there's a big benefit to being able to control how fast the water comes off the ground, how fast Mm -hmm. you can get in there and Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing, but it also circumvents a pretty important natural cycle. And the biologist in me just like has Mm big, I'm going to be honest, like I have Mm -hmm. big concerns about that. I'm kind of, you know, I I don't open up about that very much because I don't, I don't know all of the research behind it and to know enough about it, whether or not it is really going to be a big problem Mm -hmm. for us. But Um, I do understand the water cycle and I understand that, you know, we're trying to fix a problem. Right. Kind of that we created. Yes. And usually when man does that, we don't do a very good job.
1: Exactly. Exactly. We call that unintended consequences. What happened as a result of trying to fix something for a problem that we probably created. Right. Yeah. We have not had a guest on to talk specifically about tiling. However, I have asked the question if we are essentially improving the aggregate stability of the soil, can the soil on its own handle the water cycle itself? Mm-hmm. And so um, I know that tiling is still used, even in regenerative situations, people have tiled, you know, there's, there's things uh, going on there. But I could say that I think that um, it, it may be less necessary, when your soils are functioning right because like you said with compaction and all of those type of things that are are circumventing what would be a normal water cycle right so and and water is a huge issue i mean one of the guests that we had on in fact i just was with him last week at the big soil health event where 400 people plus came to talk about regenerative ag this is in the middle of Iowa there are people there from Indiana, Ohio, all over the country mm-hmm. and they're trying to adopt these practices or have adopt them and they're they're just doing great things. But um Seth Watkins um is a farmer and he farms over in like what would be the Des Moines watershed area. And um because of a health situation with his kids, he had to address the water on his property. really, And he's like, Hey, you know, when they asked me, where's your source of water? Cause his kids had a rare genetic condition. Mm. Um, and they didn't think it would happen a second time. And when it did, you know, someone said to him, what's your water source? And he's, he's like, I was offended. Like everybody's always asking a farmer what's going on with the water. Yeah, But, um, but we do have to look at some of the things that we're doing and um, the way that we're applying stuff and you know just really kind of that whole mantra of when we know better then we do better and there's some things we know about water cycles and things um you know down in the gulf what we're seeing you know we just really have to be conscious of of what some of our practices are doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, just even simple stuff like, um, you know, putting, putting your products on when you're planting. So when the, when the plant's going to need it and not way before that, you know, when it gets a chance to wash away or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And leach out. So those are just some things to consider, which kind of circles around your tiling issue but but it is a question and and i've even heard like there are so i'm not i try not to be sassy about this because i i get it we we've done what we know how to do and what Mm -hmm. we've been told to do and things that we've been told that they're not going to harm you and they're not you know all of these things Mm -hmm. but we're the more we know the more we know Right. Yeah. And so we're learning some of those things, but people have asked, would you drink the water out of your tile? You know? And so that was a pretty poignant question, you know, to ask about if you would do it. So, um, I I don't know that tiling answer, but I have the same question, you know, and, and what, where will we go with that? And I think we're still learning.
0: Yeah. I yeah. hope people keep asking those questions. So if, if somebody yeah. comes onto your guys's podcast and really has good answers for that, I would love yeah, to we'll listen share, and hear it.
1: Yeah, we'll share yeah. that. Yeah, so that's super cool. And when you talk about the water, the um, the it kind of reminds me that one of the the kind of things that really I said is sort of the poster child for doing something different is that our my my folks put a pond in between the the farm the home place and where they built their house Mm -hmm. and that the pond at the deepest spot was about 30 feet deep when they dug it and today it's 11 feet deep so that pond was put in like 1978 so it's not just our farm feeding into the pond because it's stream fed
0: That's but, a lot of soil came from somewhere. That's though, a it? lot
1: of soil that came from somewhere. And those people deserve to have their soil back on their farm. <laughs> come, I, come I don't again. want it. And, Yeah. <laughs> so but but imagine, like, so now, you know, we we, we can't fish it because it's yeah. typically covered with duckweed. Right. Um you know, algae. there's just a lot of algae, there's just a lot of things going on. So that's one of the projects is to get that pond restored to its glory. But um but I, I, I'll, I'll take it another step when we talk about like changing paradigms and just changing our thinking. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about like, people think, you know, we're going down the rabbit hole or it's a little bit, yeah. you know, crazy. But, um, you know, that's one of the things like even at the, that event that I was just at, one of the things the growers say is that it's so great to come where there's like like-minded people thinking, yeah. cause unfortunately there is a lot of chatter. Uh, when you're doing something different that looks a little crazy and you kind of got to rethink what you think beauty looks like, like, you know, I totally get it. Like a beautiful, you know, tilled field or, you know, I've ridden in the tractor with my husband. I get that whole feeling of like, oh, this is fun. And, you know, we're turning stuff up and yeah, Yeah. you know,
0: it feels productive.
1: It does. It does. And so I totally get that.
0: We've we've said similar things with regards to forest management though, Mm -hmm. that what is Mm -hmm. typically beautiful to the, the eye of the landowner or somebody that what they think is you know, just a, right. a, just a gorgeous stand of timber is usually terrible wildlife habitat. Yeah. it's uh, You know, they don't typically go hand in hand. So you kind of have to retrain, you know, what, what it is that you think look good. You know, it's not a, supposed to be a park, right. you know, when you're managing a, a native yes. ecotype, it should be full of so many different species of wildlife and plants. Exactly. And it's going to be a jungle, you it know, and, and if you manage it right, it should Um, it's a beautiful jungle yeah yeah but you learn to appreciate the the ugly a little bit exactly well that's there for a reason and once you know all of those plant species all kind of have their place and serve the role and they feed certain species of wildlife and whatever then you start to appreciate them exactly and all of a sudden you look at it and now i'm a little bit of a habitat snob if if i i totally if i go into a piece of timber that's just it might be aesthetically kind of pretty, but just not really good wildlife habitat. Yeah. Boy, I I just look at it and just think, Oh, this needs work. <laughs> right,
1: right, exactly. And and that's what we're talking about. It's just kind of rethinking what things look like. So, yeah. you know, even like so I mean we have corn growers that are seeding in growing corn, seeding a cover crop. So mm-hmm. there's a cover crop growing on the floor bed of that corn crop. And that would be itchy to some folks, right. To see that happening or like, so this, after we take the weed out, God willing, we get a good crop off of it, um, this summer, then we'll plant back to a summer cover. And we'll do some warm season grasses, do a little diverse mix, and then um, we'll either terminate that or, or we we will let it, it might be self terminating whatever it is, and then we'll plant some cool season stuff. And we're going to let that soil get like a jump start, but it's going to probably look a little crazy. Um, you know, from what would typically be happening.
0: People drive by and just say like, what in the world are they growing there?
1: Right. But even like yards, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, pollinator strips and, you know, getting diversity again back into, because if we've got a water problem, then we need to address that by, and I know a lot of people think that cover crops use water or take water from your other plants or your Mm -hmm. cash crop, but what they really find is that because of what they're doing for the soil, they're actually helping you to retain and hold on to the water that you've gotten and that you can get good use of it. So, and not to mention the fact of things like, we haven't even talked about like soil temperature, mm-hmm. you know, like the soil temperature of like microbial life, like shuts off at a certain degree. And if you've got bare soil with 90 degrees sun bouncing it down, on it bakes. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're just exacerbating the problem. Hmm. And so that's just a whole other piece of, you know, all of the things that we could, you know, talk about that, that do it. And one thing we didn't say is those living covers, those all of that living plant growing is pumping carbon into the soil. So, oh, by the way, is... you have an issue with carbon, you know, that's, that's a great way to look at sequestering carbon back into the soil where it belongs. Yeah. So,
0: well, there's, I've thought about this many times from a wildlife management standpoint and people, some people, when they're interested in buying a farm, they look for something that has a certain uh, number of row crop acres on it or whatever. They, they like to have that element because they think, Oh, that, that feeds deer. It's good Mm -hmm. for turkeys or Mm -hmm. whatever. But when I look at that same field, I think, there may be some financial benefits to the landowner to have, uh, some row crop acres on it, sure. but, um, that's a biological desert eight months, almost, or s- seven months out of the year. Exactly. It's it, Once that crop is harvested, there's so little life going on on there that, exactly. and, and to add to that, I mean, uh. John Deere and, and all the other equipment manufacturers have spent a lot of money and a lot of research hours to try to determine how to not leave a whole bunch of corn or beans laying out in the field after right. the, the combines run right. through. So it's like, there's really not that much left there that the deer are able to eat anyway. Exactly. I mean, it's, um, so the idea of having, you know, cover crops and having something on there that benefits, not just the soil, but also the wildlife in the general area that exactly. are, gives them another food source. And, um, I think all of that's really cool
1: yeah it is super cool well and i have this kid who likes to duck hunt and deer hunt and stuff so uh we have a it's not just him our whole family we we hunt that property and Mm -hmm. so to see the wildlife come back is amazing and i think you know that's probably the smartest thing i did was about mm, i suppose it's been it was before COVID, i think I took my uncle, who's one of the landowners, he and my dad own the property, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I took him to a soil health field day down by Beardstown, and um, some some of you guys may know Greg Redman down there in, in that neck of the woods, like Rushville area, mm-hmm. uh, but he... Um, He mob grazes his ground. He's adopted all the regenerative ag principles. And they brought in Dr. Alan Williams, who's part of Understanding Ag, which is a group that really tries to help educate growers on how to adopt these practices. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's where I met Luke Jones, who's also part of Understanding Ag. And he was part of Greg's farm at that time. And so I took my uncle down there. And we were standing in a field that was, you know, almost probably knee-high or thigh-high of cover crops. And we stood in there, and there were cows grazing in there. And I'm telling you, that that field was teeming with life. Mm -hmm. Birds, insects. Uh, you name it. It it was happening. The crops were, the covers were robust and bright green, and the soil temperature was low because, you know, all this cover is on there. And I mean, it's a hot day and we're measuring all these things, you know. And when my, uh, my uncle was like right in it, like looking at everything they were doing and following them around and listening. And when we got back in the car, he couldn't stop Really talking about, and I the first thing I said is you can't unsee it. Once you've seen it in action, yeah, you can't unsee it.
0: It's eye opening.
1: It is eye opening, and and when you bring that life back, cause see, that's the thing we forget is we forget when we spray insecticide, we're not just killing the 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 predator or the one that we want to kill. We're killing everything, including the beneficials. Mm. So we've learned that there are things that we can do that will help us to where beneficial insects will actually attract um, like a plant will signal for that insect to come in and fight that predator. I mean, or when your plants are healthy that like take like Japanese beetle, for example, you can have two different fields that are side by side. One's treated and has good nutrition. The plants are healthy Mm -hmm. and you can go six rows in and you won't see the insect pressure that you see on the field that's next door to it that doesn't have that healthy plant that's been conventionally tilled i mean it's mind-blowing to yeah to see this stuff but the thing is you can't just take my word for it you gotta kind of got to see it for yourself you know so
0: you have any plans to potentially host something like that someday
1: so that's our hope is that do some
0: outreach or education with what you guys yeah we want to be
1: really transparent about what we're doing on the farm Mm -hmm. so i i'm hoping to have a sign up with a qr code on it that you could just scan it and go to our website and see what we've done and what we're up to and and that's just what we hope to do and and um so because you know like i said i'm not the agronomist Mm -hmm. i'm not you know i just I've always wondered, I've always been a lifelong learner. I know that there's always something next that I need to learn. And so um, as I glean this information and you know, test and verify, right? Like you don't just take somebody's word for it and say, oh, well, I'm gonna go do this and have a big train When you first
0: kind of introduce everything that you're talking about doing, it almost sounds like an experiment. But it's not because it's all proven It is, and it's all, you're just kind of taking practices that you saw in action or heard from somebody who's actually doing it and said, we're going to adopt that and we're going to try it. We're going to see how it works for us. That's right. So I think it's, it's really cool because the, the people who drive through that area, they haven't. They haven't absorbed all of that information and research yet. They haven't met right. all, had all those conversations. So when they see it, they'll think like, whoa, that, that's yeah. a little bit crazy or that's way out of the box. Yeah. But reality is like you're not just kind of making it up as you go. You're just adopting things that you've seen Thing. work that's right. for people. And, that's right. Uh, very cool.
1: And I don't discount that there are challenges because, you know, I mean, look at all the infrastructure we've got that supports the current you know farming methods right mm-hmm. and also you know even like for even until like the last year or so like um crop insurance didn't really play well with planting cover crops because there were certain times that you had to terminate or you know planting green was like crazy you know and and the same with like your bankers you know like that makes them a little itchy too so you've got a few players in the game that are you're sometimes not the sole decision maker of some of those things that are happening on your farm. So, we always say, don't don't bet the whole farm. Get take you know mm-hmm. ten acres and and try it and see. Because the thing is, the changes are pretty remarkable, pretty quick. So that's exciting. Very cool. Well, yeah.
0: as as we kind of get ready to wrap up, I would love you brought a couple of books with you that you kind oh, of touched yeah. on. I think our our viewers, our audience, would probably be really interested in those two. I'm interested in them, but if you could just maybe tell us quickly what you brought, what they absolutely.
1: Who, well, when I went to work at. At uh, Ag Solutions Network, the first uh, book that Monty made me read was called Dirt, the Erosion of Civilizations. And it's by David Montgomery. And um, he tells this, I mean, it's just a remarkable story about how civilizations have, have come and gone as a result of their agricultural practices hmm. because of how they have managed the soil. Or mismanaged in right. some regards. Yeah. So if you've, you know, <clears throat> if you've read a Steinbeck novel, if you've read *Grapes of Wrath*, and you've read about the Dust Bowl time and all of that stuff, you know, sometimes we haven't learned a lot from that in in some regards. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a great book. This one is um, it's intense. There's a lot of information in here, but it's a great read if you want to understand some of those kind of things. This book is by Gabe Brown, and Gabe would be recognized as like the godfather of, you know, regenerative ag, like he went on this journey. And he went on it not on purpose, really. He was almost forced into it. He says that he he got hit by... Um, uh hail like four years in a row Mm -hmm. but what that did was he had to change some things so he lost some crops he had to change some things and but he saw his soil changing now mind you gabe is in north dakota so when you say you can't grow cover crops this guy's doing it in north dakota he's grazing livestock on his land. It's an amazing story. And um, I would encourage anybody who's looking to like rebuild their soils or understand that journey to Mm -hmm. read how Gabe did it. Super inspirational. And um, yeah, so I just recommend those two to start.
0: Well, I appreciate the recommendations because that's a topic that I'm pretty interested in so i'm going to jump yeah. into that one for sure yeah um miss kim i can't thank you enough for coming in today well, i mean thank I, you. Uh, a lot of knowledge that you've picked up just in the last decade or so and just you know like you said a lifelong learner um you know grew up a country girl and, and hearing your story and just your your excitement your passion for being able to take some of this stuff that you're learning about and to hopefully see it slowly put back into action on the home farm you know there with your your what your uh, family history is of it it's just it's really really cool it's inspirational um, can't wait to keep following you as you guys progress in that. And I feel really blessed that we have Jordan here, uh, as part of our program, who's your son. Mm -hmm. We just didn't, I didn't even say that in the beginning of this, but this this is the mama of (laughs) of our boy Jordan. So, um, we'll, we'll surely be hearing a little bit more about that through him as you guys, Mm -hmm. you know, take each of these steps, uh, into that. And I think it's, uh, Best of luck with that journey. We're all thank very you. excited for you guys about it, and just appreciate you sharing some of that with us. Well,
1: thanks for letting me share. And and I would be remiss if I didn't say that it's thanks to the folks that I work for and and people who've helped and taught me along the way that have really uh, fired this fueled this fire. So,
0: yeah, yeah. All right. Well, everybody, thank you very much for joining us again with another episode of Land Your Ground podcast. Uh, you should. Like and subscribe to join our tribe on all of our socials. If you haven't subscribed yet on our website, we'd invite you to do that. We would love to have your contact info so that we could keep you in in tune with what we have coming up for future content uh, with our weekly newsletter and some articles that we'll be putting together in time to uh, help share a little bit more about dive deeper with us into some of this information that our guests are sharing. So um, thank you guys very much and we will see you next time on Land Your Ground.